Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Okay, maybe we're in trouble with this one. Maybe. No, but I just want to share something with you really quick, and there's a reason why you see this individual, this polarizing individual, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Let's just face facts. He is definitely polarizing. But I want to talk to you about sworn testimony. I want to give you a definition for it really quick. Sworn testimony is evidence given by a witness who has made a commitment to tell the truth. Therefore, any witness who refuses a sworn testimony is actually no witness at all. And this picture of President Donald Trump, we throw him up here this morning because just last April he gave seven hours of sworn testimony. See, for those of you that do not know, President Trump is being sued by Letitia James, New York State Attorney. James alleges that Trump defrauded banks in order to secure loans. I bring this up because many people believe that he's actually telling the truth. I, I bring this up because there's many people, let's face it, that believe he's lying. Now, Trump admits that his assets are guesstimates and claims his loan request came with a disclaimer. I want to read what he actually said during his deposition. He says, I have a clause in there that says, don't believe the statement. Go out and do your own work. Trump testified, you're supposed to pay no credence to what we say whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, we're not here to talk about Donald Trump this morning. We're here to proclaim Jesus. Now, Jesus did give spiritual sworn testimony. However, his testimony did not come with a disclaimer. 25 times in the Gospel of John alone, Jesus says these words, and I know you've heard them many times over, but Jesus says this 25 times. He uses the phrase, truly, truly. No need to guesstimate. No need for you to do your own work. Just simply, truly, truly. And what we know about mankind after hearing Jesus' testimony, many believe he's a liar, while few believe his truth. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, The Ultimate Testimony. The Ultimate Testimony. Today we are in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John. We're looking at verses 30 through 38, but we cannot forget that last week we were encouraged to know that Jesus is the one and only source of life. There's no other source out there. Jesus is the one and only source of life. He alone is the who. He alone is the how. He alone is the why of our future resurrection. And this resurrection, as you remember from last week, is actually twofold. There's going to be a resurrection of the wicked and a resurrection of the righteous. And in John 5, 19 through 30, as we just went over last week, he made his case with these six points, and these are just put here for the purpose of review. First, he said, I am equal with God. Secondly, he said, I am the giver of life. 
Three, he says, I am the final judge. Fourth, he said, I am the sustainer of humanity. Fifth, he said, I am the resurrection of the dead. And sixth, he says, I am the physical embodiment of God's work. Today, as we continue in the Gospel of John, Jesus continues his testimony that he alone is the only source of life. So let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. John chapter 5, verses 30. Through 38. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If anyone alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent messengers to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, He has testified about me. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His form. Also, you do not have His word remaining in you because you do not believe Him who sent me. Amen. As we look to put these verses into one sentence, the sentence is actually very simple. And the sentence, which becomes our main idea, states this. Jesus' testimony is the ultimate testimony because it's God's testimony. Jesus' testimony is the ultimate testimony because it is God's testimony. So let's just start here in verse 30 through 32, but we want to look right at verse 30, and we understand when we see verse 30 that it actually harkens back to John chapter 5 that we're in right now, verse 19. I want to read verse 19 for you. It's not going to be on your screen, but we must remember that this was written earlier. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. See, first He sees the Father doing in, in, in verse 19 of chapter 5. But what do we see here this morning? He says, as I hear. So He's seen the work. Now He's hearing the work. Whether he sees or hears, Jesus and God are in perfect harmony. That's what we can take from this, which is why his judgment then is righteous, as it says. This is a reminder to the Jews of Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. Now, we must remember that that's his audience this morning. It's a Jewish audience, but let's just go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, and we're going to see some similarities here where it says, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. Prophecy being fulfilled. This is not a solo mission by Jesus. This is God in human flesh. This is God and Jesus as one. This is Jesus using Scripture to verify His testimony. Brothers and sisters, we use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament. 
In fact, I remember taking New Testament theology when I was in seminary. It was one of the last courses that I took in my three years in seminary. It was the most difficult course that I took. And I'll never forget day one, the professor said, the goal of this class is to drop you off anywhere in the Bible and you will be able to find your way to Jesus. And then we proceeded to continue on the course of New Testament theology, but we spent probably 80% of our time in the Old Testament because we used the Old Testament to interpret the new. And I think this example from Isaiah and this prophecy is case in point of why we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, why we use the Old Testament Testament to interpret the news. So as we go back to verses 30 through 32, in verse 31, Jesus is not implying that his testimony is unreliable. That's not what he's saying right there in verse 31. Rather, he's defending his testimony against the Jews who believe that he was lying about his testimony to begin with, which is why he says in verse 32 then, what does he say? He says, there is another who testifies about me. Do you recognize what Jesus is doing? See, he's adding a reference or potentially references to his already impeccable testimony, to his impeccable resume, shall we say. Now, I just have one more question then. Or who is the reference that he is referring to? See, from these verses this morning, it's either going to be John the Baptist or God himself. And it doesn't matter which way you go or which one you land on, it's you know, up to debate, and not everybody agrees, but the testimony remains the same nevertheless. And as we'll see from these preceding verses, Jesus treats God's testimony as being independent of his own testimony. So we continue to verses 33 and through 35, and we clearly recognize John the Baptist right here in verse 33, because he says his ministry was very simple. It was to prepare the way for Messiah. We remember John saying that earlier in the Gospel of John. In fact, we see this from John 1, 23. I'll just read this for you. He said, I am the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness, make way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. See, it's important that Jesus mentions John to his Jewish audience. This is actually very important. John was generally already considered to be a prophet at this point by the Jews. They respected him as a prophet. And we know this from Matthew 21, verse 26. Actually, 25 as well. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? These are the Jewish leaders that he's, being, he's talking to here. And they began considering the implications among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why do you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. See, this is Jesus catching these Jewish leaders in a trap. Therefore, putting himself in a position to testify that his authority actually came from God. It did not come from man. And the trap was set because if the Jewish leaders would have denied John as a prophet, then the general population would actually be against him. Or them, shall I say. Brothers and sisters, this is but one example as to why politics should never supersede Scripture. Because that's exactly what the Jewish leaders were doing. And, and just let me say this really quick. We did start off with Trump. But how many people do you know 
that they allow politics to supersede Scripture. They turn everything political into something that Jesus is doing for this country. We cannot have a fear of man. Ever. So let's go back here to 33 through 35, and we should begin to realize that Jesus did not depend on human testimony to verify his being equal to God. He was simply using John as a reference because of John's reputation as a prophet among the people. In fact, we'll realize real soon that Jesus' testimony is actually far greater than John's anyway. Jesus doesn't refer to John the Baptist as a Savior. Never once is John referred to as a Savior. He simply refers to him as, what does it say right here? The lamp that was burning and shining. Burning and shining as a beacon to the Savior. That was John's role. After all, Jesus has already alluded to the Father's testimony about Him. Remember, Jesus is giving us right here the ultimate testimony about who He is. So why? Why? Why would He give us this testimony? And it's very simple because it says right there at the end of verse 34, so they may be saved. He's making this testimony for salvation, to save souls. Again, as we'll see, Jesus' testimony is greater than John's. John's testimony was about this, to rejoice for a while in his light. That's what it says. John's testimony about the Messiah only led them to rejoice for a while in his light. Kind of reminds me of that bug zapper as a kid. You guys remember those for mosquitoes? The mosquitoes just couldn't resist the light. They too rejoiced for a while until <coughs> I used to love that sound as a kid in the summertime. See, John was the first prophet of the, amongst the Jews in some 400 years. They were attracted to him until he preached the message of repentance. That's the zap that they felt all the way up until that point. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says these things so that you may be saved. So what does that look like? When you hear this testimony of Jesus, when it's really God's testimony about who Jesus is as Messiah, we realize that John the Baptist was a beacon of light to lead others to Messiah. What does it look like so that we may be saved. See, we must believe, receive, and repent. We must believe who Jesus is. He's God in human form, sent to save the world. We must receive His grace, which leads to faith in that truth. And then we must repent we must turn away from our sin and back towards God. Again, this reminds us of our main idea then this morning. Jesus' testimony is the ultimate testimony because it's God's testimony. In verse 36, it's like Jesus is saying, yeah, John the Baptist is a prophet, but my testimony supersedes his testimony about me. Why? 
because the very works that I do testify about me. Now, this is a very bold statement being made by Jesus, especially to the Jewish audience in which he's making this statement to. If you remember, John the Baptist was considered to be the greatest man to have ever lived up until this point. In fact, Jesus himself is the one that says this, and we see this from Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, where Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is none arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What made John the Baptist so great? I mean, why is Jesus saying this about John the Baptist. What is it about John the Baptist that just made him so great? And I think you could argue that it's not only did he witness about the fulfillment of prophecy about Messiah, but he also participated in the fulfillment of said prophecy too. Because remember, he's the one that paved the way to Messiah coming, and he was the one who baptized Jesus. So he prophesied about Jesus coming, but then he was also able to participate in the fulfillment of that prophecy. However, there are those today who are actually even greater than John. And you would be thinking to yourself, now we hold on a second there. How are there anybody today that's actually greater than John? I mean, he was a prophet. He was used to help in part, fulfill some of the prophecy in which he prophesied about previously, but now we're making the statement that there are those today that are actually greater than John. How can this be? Or let me ask you this. Do you know who they are? And I'll give you a hint. It's not Donald Trump. Who is it today that's actually greater than John the Baptist? We believers... Our understanding of the cross is complete. John the Baptist never had that opportunity. We are witnesses to something John could only foreshadow. So let's go back to verse 36. These past few months, we've covered the works of Jesus. We can't forget Nicodemus. In chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Chapter 4, verse 29, the woman at the well said, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ. We see the work of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 53, with the nobleman's son who was healed. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed in his whole household. And again, in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, with the lame man in Bethsaida, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and walked. Jesus gave up his divine attributes when he became a man. He performed these works that have already been mentioned in the Gospel of John according to God's will. Not only according to God's will, but also being empowered by the Holy Spirit. These works were performed in perfect harmony with God. Again, Jesus does not need a disclaimer. 25 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, truly, truly, 
No need to guesstimate. No need for you to do your own work. Just simply, truly, truly, the Father's testimony and His work. As we continue on to verses 37 and 38, it's another verification of the ultimate testimony because Jesus says, He has testified about Me. Because God the Father has already testified about Jesus. We see this in Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son today. I have fathered you. Ask it of me, and I will certainly give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthen where now again we use the old testament to interpret the new testament let's do just that right now matthew chapter 3 verse 17 and behold a voice from the heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased scripture should always interpret scripture Going back to verses 37 through 38, now as it pertains to God, this Jewish audience, as it says here, had neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Though God cannot be seen in his full glory, he had previously revealed himself audibly and visually to the Jews. Think of Moses and the Israelites in Exodus. Think of some of the Old Testament prophets. But this Jewish audience was different. Not only did they have the Old Testament Scriptures, but they also had Jesus as God in human form. Yet, how does Jesus end? What is it that He says, even though that we know that this is true? They had Jesus as God in human form. And how does He end? He ends by saying this, you do not have His Word remaining in you because you do not believe Him whom He sent. So as Joe comes up and joins me, brothers and sisters, if you have believed, if you have received, and if you have repented, then you have the ultimate testimony written on your heart. Everything that God has testified about Jesus is written on your heart. It's those who do not believe that make God a liar. They believe the ultimate testimony comes with a disclaimer. The Father's testimony about Jesus requires no disclaimer, just truth. Quite simply, it's what Jesus says. Truly, truly. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. That is our tagline for all of the Gospel of John. And again, as way of reminder, our main idea that summarized these verses this morning stated this. Jesus' testimony is the ultimate testimony because it's God's testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we continue to learn to trust you and follow you. Our prayer is that you make straight our paths, Lord.
use us to share your testimony about your son. Use us to share that testimony so others may be saved. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.